Can cash be a silver bullet for lifting families out of poverty? One program in Mississippi is using a novel approach to bring economic justice to African-American mothers in public housing. From the Aspen Institute, I'm Marcy Krivenen, filling in for Amina Akhtar. This is Aspen Insight. Presidential candidate Andrew Yang has brought the idea of universal basic income into the spotlight. The Democrat says it's a way to help people weather the technological shift that's happening in America. So, as robots take our jobs, cash keeps us afloat. Cash transfer programs have been tried around the world, in places like Stockton, California, Finland, and Alaska. A program in Jackson, Mississippi, called Magnolia Mothers Trust, is the first of its kind. It targets extremely low-income families in public housing. The program distributes $1,000 a month to 15 families, no strings attached. The idea is to free up bandwidth so families can focus on more than just surviving. Ebony Beals helped create Magnolia Mother's Trust. She runs her own hair salon and lives in public housing in Jackson. Here's how she describes herself. I am uh, a lover of beauty, hair, makeup, nails. Um, I am an in-tune mom, a very hands-on mom. She says she always knew what she wanted. She was passionate about hair, so she went to school as a single mom and then became homeless. She eventually moved into federally subsidized affordable housing. I felt like it was a blessing and it was the right time. Since then, she's become an advocate for economic justice and helps design programs like Magnolia Mother's Trust. You know, I wouldn't change anything in this world um, for all the experiences. Like I said, everything happens for a reason. I sat down with Ebony and Aisha Yandoro at a convening held by Ascend, a program at the Aspen Institute that works to move children and the adults in their lives to educational success, economic security, and health and well-being. Aisha runs Springboard to Opportunities, a nonprofit that developed Magnolia Mothers Trust. Her organization, which works with families in affordable housing, is radically resident-driven. She says the moms she works with were telling her cash would help improve their lives. And so when we first started thinking about this work, it really did come from conversations with my moms that we were having and also a concern of mine that I realized that despite all of the varied work that we were doing as an organization, we were not moving the needle on poverty and we could not figure out why that was. We have after school programs, workforce development and training, food pantries in some communities, healthcare um, clinics in other communities. We have all of these programs and services that families have said that they needed and that we want to ensure that we're supporting them and having, but we still had families that at the end of the day did not have resources to um, just live day to day. And that was problematic. And so when we started looking at that and having those conversations, it really was, you know, if my families, if my moms that I work with are telling us that there is a lack of access of cash, of discretionary cash, to do whatever it is that they um, desire to do with it, it is my job as a leader to figure out how do we go about being in service uh, um, of figuring that out. And that's what we did with the Magnolia Mothers Trust. There was a unmet need, um, a guaranteed income or universal basic income allowed me the language to figure out how to go about addressing that need. And the rest of it was just about the business of doing the work. Mm -hmm. And Ebony, I mean, from your perspective, how important is it to just have 
extra cash. I know I don't think you're part of Magnolia Mothers, but that extra um, cash, it seems so simple a solution, but how important is that? I think it's really important. And even though I'm not a part of it, I have benefited from it. And the reason why I say that is um, they had made offers like if we had an emergency and needed some money um, up to $500 to be used for our discretion. It was just physically just fill out your name on a form and say what you need it for. And then a check got mailed to you. So I am not a part of the big portion of it, but I am very thankful that they offered this other additional money because I did need to use it. Um, As though she talked, you can definitely tell that it is helping somewhat. Um, And for, I can't speak for the other young ladies, but I can say is if it was offered, I don't think that anybody everybody would be able to benefit from an additional even even you can mm-hmm. it's like oh that could pay a bill mm-hmm. right um, right yeah pay my car note pay my insurance pay something so you know um so not not taking away from me being a part of that but i am a part of it mm-hmm. i was a part of helping you know come up with you know the reasons for using it and every step of the way um you know, they offered counseling. We sat there and talked and discussed, like, if we got this money and you were chosen for the lottery, what would you do with it? What are your main goals? So we still do touch bases on those things. So I'm actually not a physical part of it, but as a whole, I am. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, and that's exactly right. And, you know, and I, this year with the Magnolia Mothers Trust Springboard to Opportunities as an organization, it's been getting a lot of attention, which is amazing. As the leader of the organization, I love it. We need it. Thank you all for the support. But I don't want the conversations for us to get lost in just the guaranteed income piece and on those 20 women who received the money because there are so many other pieces that we do um, and so many individuals who, you know, by virtue of just sheer resources and, you know, scarcity of resources. We were not able to give the um, Magnolia Mothers Trust to everyone. But what Ebony was saying, which, you know, I want to talk about as well, as we recognize the importance of cash and discretionary cash, and yes, we have the women who are participating with us in the Magnolia Mothers Trust, where they're receiving $1,000 a month for 12 months to use as they see fit. But we also were able to, in this year, recognize, and it's something that we'll be continuing as we move forward, Recognizing the sheer financial gap and how in a lot of these communities, it's really little, it's small things, it's little foxes, I call them, that actually disrupt your life. And they can disrupt your life for six months or years. And it is something as simple as, you know, you hit a pothole and now you broke your axle. And how if you can't get your car fixed, how do you get to work? If you can't get to work, how do you pay your bills? And so it's just a cycle that goes on and on and on that we never think about. And so this year, what we said is, okay, we cannot give everyone $1,000 for 12 months. Um, But what we can do is we can put in place a rapid support system within our communities where it's just rapid funding. Anything that may come up with, you know, under $500, you can get a get that once per year and you don't have to come back and show us a receipt you don't have to tell us what it is that you did with that money you don't have to prove that there is an actual need if you tell us you need five hundred dollars come get your money and you can you know you don't have to get it all at once because you know you could have an emergency this month that's a hundred dollar emergency or an emergency you know three months later that's a three hundred dollar emergency so anything up to five hundred dollars because like I said we know that for most Americans uh, you know we have um, less than four hundred dollars saved for an emergency and so it's just our way of trying to make sure that we're helping our families address those little foxes uh, that come up 
Right. And even though that doesn't fall into the same program, that's still a cash transfer. That's, that's exactly right. It's still a cash transfer. It's still for us falling under the larger frame of economic justice and ensuring that we are really looking at equity and how do we support families as they work to el- eliminate poverty and pull themselves out of the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I read that the minimum wage in Mississippi is seven twenty-five an hour. Uh, which welcome to the south. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing really to laugh about, but I promise you, we the struggle is real. The struggle, yeah, that's yes. it's seven dollars and twenty five cents. Um, and it's so, nothing. Yeah, and when we're you know when I'm in these places with these really progressive policies and, um. It, yeah, it's $7.25. You know, a couple of years ago when they were having the conversations about Fight for 15, I was like, wouldn't that be great if we could get a minimum wage that is $15 per hour? Because that's just, we are nowhere near that in Mississippi. And a lot of the individuals who work in Mississippi um, are trapped in low-wage jobs where it is a cycle that you cannot um, get out of. So it's retail jobs, it's, you know, health care, but it's not health. It's health care where you are at the bottom rungs of the health care um, system. So, yeah, we have Ebony here. Ebony is a business owner. Ebony at any one particular time will be working four jobs. It's trying to pull all the pieces of life together for herself and her family to make sure that she and her kids have everything that it is not only that they need, but some of the pieces that they want as well. But we don't talk about the systems that put it in place that make that virtually impossible happen. We don't talk about the fact that in this country, the richest country in the world, we are still paying people $7.25 an hour. That is Mm -hmm. not okay. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've never met anybody who you're making these policies for, you're kind of out of touch. Mm -hmm. There's no reality. You can't really base everything on numbers because all the graphics that I've seen (laughs) last few months just say that we're pretty much nothing. Um, and that's not really the case because we do the jobs that no one wants to do, you know, um, and we struggle every day. So, you know, maybe on the local level, I said this earlier, like on the local level, maybe they might be a little bit in tune because they know their area. But as far as statewide goes, they don't know. You know, they just hear all these things and 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 you know that we're the poorest of the poor um but never realized that you know i could be your aunt or your sister or something that we're human that's it we're just human and i think that just there's just no reality based on the things that they come up with or the rules or the requirements based on the people who live in their community or in their area or their state Well, and you talked about changing the narrative in the discussion earlier today. I think you used a term that maybe some people throw around, welfare queen. So the welfare queen is this this mythical being. Um, It's actually based off a real individual. But Ronald Reagan um, first used the term in the 80s when he was talking about putting... conditions on to public assistance and how individuals were getting rich off of welfare and creating this narrative and his, you know, um, creating this narrative around this woman who would go from social service agency to social service agency in Chicago, just collecting all of these checks. And so that was his, um, that was his framing, and that is where this ideal of the welfare queen came from. And it still holds true, which is so ridiculous in 
um, it's so ridiculous and it's so sad on so many instances because I'm like, there's nothing queenly about having to be engaged with these various systems. It is some of the most disrespectful, patronizing, um, soul-sucking experiences when you have to go to the Department of Human Services and verify that you are still poor enough to need assistance. Mm -hmm. There's nothing queenly right. about that. No yeah. one is getting rich off of the system. What is happening is that individuals are losing their dignity. They are being um, dehumanized. But we do not want to look at those realities. It's much easier to lean into this narrative um, of laziness because it creates this divide of other. So it then makes us aware, you know, you don't see the humanity in someone else. And so it's a frame and a narrative that I really am hoping that we get to the place where we erase it from our collective language. Right, right. I doubt it. You know that. I, I said I'm hopeful. You're skeptical? Yeah, that, absolutely. I think if you've never, ever stepped your foot into a building like that, it's very degrading. If one person lied, we're all liars. Um, if one person has done something wrong, we all have. They just look at us all as the same and again, I'll just go back to the same point is we're all different. And, you know, what she needs is not what I need. And it's just really unfortunate. And you definitely can't be a welfare queen in Mississippi. Mm -mm. <laughs> no, mm -mm. because they think their idea of <laughs> assistance. And I'll tell you that once I did apply and they were like, oh, you have family. It's you and three other children. OK, so we're going to give you one hundred thirty dollars a month. I'm like, okay. Are you talking but, about with TANF too? Yeah. Yes. And then they were like, oh, but uh, by the way, you have to come in and vol volunteer for 37 hours a week. I'm like, when am I ever supposed to be able to work? And they take away your child support. So I'm like, oh, I guess it's not even worth it. Don't even worry about it. You don't need the help. Wow. Yeah. So it's unfortunate. But, but those are the policy pieces that we're talking about. Yeah, you right. know, and so with TANF, that's a perfect example of a policy reform that we can create to actually make TANF work the way it's supposed to work. So TANF currently is um, allocated as a block grant, which means that each state gets to determine how those resources are utilized. In Mississippi, one of the poorest states in this nation, less than two percent of the individuals who are eligible actually utilize TANF. And the narrative instead of looking at that data and said, okay, there must be something wrong with the way that we're actually administering this because if we are the poorest state where one in four in our kids are living in poverty, if only 2% of our population is utilizing this, there must be something wrong with the way we're administering it. That's right. not the narrative, they say. The narrative is, oh, we can't find people who need these services. Wow. That's wow. crazy to me. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you're not looking hard enough. I got lots right. of them. What are you doing? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Well, and I know that um, Magnolia Mother's Trust and Springboard Opportunity is a local program. Mm -hmm. Perhaps you have visions to make it, to grow it more nationally. But but how is it different from TANF, you know, as far as like the dignity piece, right? Because that's... That, definitely. So Springboard Opportunities is based in um, not just Jackson. We're in a couple of other places in Mississippi, as well as Alabama and Maryland. With Magnolia Mothers Trust, we tested it initially in Jackson, Mississippi, because we were, when we first started this, okay, this is really about economic justice uh, and really about changing the narrative. And if we are going to do that and be bold about the work, we really have to do it in a place where women... Uh, Women of color have been the most disadvantaged by the systems and policies that are in place. And that's Jackson, Mississippi. That's just the reality of it when we look at the data and the statistics. 
So there are no plans to expand outside of Jackson. What there are plans for is to continue to cultivate data and look at the data and have larger conversations about how do we use the data and what it is that we're learning to then take this information and move towards policy changes and talk about how do we use the resources that are already within our social safety net that we're utilizing as a country, the $150 billion that we are spending annually on social service programs. How do we use these resources differently and actually really center families and their needs into how those resources are allocated and quit letting the policies be made from individuals from a top-down approach where individuals who have never set foot in a community like Ebony's have never had a conversation with an Ebony um, and are just disconnected from the realities of what it means to actually live and try to thrive and move out of poverty within this country. Mm-hmm. Um, Ebony, what did you just write on a, a note to your child? That's my child. That's, her, so that's, that's your her, child? That's her baby. The password to unlock my cell phone. <laughs> he, he got locked out. And I was trying to give him the numbers with my hand. So. But, 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 yes. but, you know, but I think it's a perfect example. This is community. So my baby has Ebony's phone. <laughs> and she was like, here's the code to get him a phone. So he tried it a few times. And he can, he was always missing a number. And I didn't want to talk. So but no, I was trying but, to do the but, no, but this is Eight, yeah. yeah, but this is what it means when you're in right. relationship with the individuals that you work with. <laughs> oh, right? right? Totally. <laughs> um, well, so again, I want to kind of close it out or bring it back to the dignity part oh, of things yes, because it yeah. sounds like that sort of undergirds everything. It does. Yeah. To us, it's, you know, to me, that it's the. I don't know if that's a secret sauce because it should not be secret sauce that you should treat people with dignity the way you want to be treated. But for us in really thinking about this work and the importance of cash, it really is the agency and the dignity that cash restores, that it's not a part of our current social safety net, not a part of those conversations. And for us, when we were designing the Magnolia Mothers Trust, we were so adamant that it not have conditions and that individuals not feel like they had to check in and share how they were spending their money and that they had to spend their money a certain way because an all of our conversations with our moms, we know what that already looks and feels like. We know the patriarchy of that. We know um, how, how that just takes away their dignity when they feel like they only can use resources for certain things and that they're not trusted to actually know what it was, know what it is that their families need. So when we were designing this, we were adamant. No conditions, no strings. Take the money. Utilize it however you want to. Um, check in with our evaluator just so we can have some touch points. Uh, one of the pieces that we also provided in addition to the cash, which Ebony was um, slightly mentioned, and it really was a specific piece of the model when we were designing that the moms asked for, were opportunities for them to come together monthly. And that's really just about social capital because um, they mentioned wanting to be in community with women, um, mothers who were going through a lot of the same things that they were so they just can learn and share and connect. So we have monthly opportunities for them to engage with one another and we help curate those topics based on what it is that they say they wanted to learn. Um, and we also have a social worker that we put in place to work with these moms because we do understand the trauma of living in poverty in some instances and wanting to make sure that as individuals for the first time are in some instances able to see themselves out of these situations that they had the support necessary if needed to help navigate that. But all of those pieces are optional. There are no strings, no conditions. We mm -hmm. trust our peeps. And, mm -hmm. you know, our women over the course of this year have been really fulfilling everything that the data shows about guaranteed income. You know, individuals have paid off over $10,000 for the predatory debt. 
uh, you know, 100% of our moms within this first pilot have checkings accounts and savings accounts where they actually have a minimum of $500 saved, which puts them in a better position than most Americans. Uh, individuals have relationships that have been restored. They feel like they're able to show up and parent um, differently and actually be more engaged because they are not stressed because that has been, you know, the stress of um, having to figure out the day-to-day how to make ends meet has been resolved. Mm-hmm. Individuals have gone back to school, have been able to get better jobs, uh, um, move out of retail jobs and actually move into careers. Uh, so it has just been a beautiful um, year and a beautiful opportunity just to have a really small piece uh, and watching individuals' lives begin to um, unfold right before their eyes. Right, so. right. That's great. Yeah. Um, and let me ask you, Ebony, um, you know, I know you gave that example during the talk that was so powerful about taking your kids to the fair Mm -hmm. choosing to spend your money that way instead of paying a bill. So obviously you still encounter these financial challenges, but do you feel like with some of the opportunities you've experienced through Springboard and, you know, growing your business, do you feel like you have more agency uh, as time goes on? Yeah, you know, because we touch bases like, um, so Sarah is, well, what's Sarah's title? Senior Community Specialist. There you go. (laughs) So Sarah is our senior community specialist and you she's pretty much just very open she's there i have her cell phone number i can text her i need anything i mean we kind of feed back and forth like if i know that there's something going on in the community absolutely so has that you you asked me um has it helped absolutely mm-hmm. because i have had i've met many opportunities and we can go on for days but um one that really assisted is last august we found out that there was this position available and um you know i was recommended for it even still with having my salons made it work um and so i was given the opportunity to work with the firm and got paid 15 dollars an hour um there, I touched bases with so many people um, working, and I did that until from, I think it was July until December. And so that, when I say, honestly, it was me and another young lady, definitely not only did it open doors for other things, like I met people who I didn't even know existed um, and was doing community work. So I had that opportunity. I've had the opportunity to go to Chicago and um, talk with other people regarding policy council. So maybe not financially, with the exception of, you know, working with Fahrenheit Creative Group um, and them. But there's different types of wealth, That's I right. promise you. Um, and I've gotten those. And my kids see the same thing and they're like, they think it's super cute. Like, why can't we go to Aspen? Next time. Right. Right, right. Um, right. And just stuff like that. And they were like, and then because mommy needs me time too, because I'm always with them, right? Right. Um, And the same thing with Chicago. Like, I've met, and all the mothers and parents that were there, we're like still friends. We like text all day, every day, and give each other motivation. So if it's not about the money, I've gained so many other different portions of wealth. Like, Friends, you know, so you you base wealth on a lot of things. And I was saying earlier, like, you know, you can have the most money in the world and still be so very, lots of issues. Because with money comes issues, but, you know, money doesn't solve everything. It'll pay a bill or two, make you feel good at that moment. But I wouldn't change the experience for everything that I've done for nothing in the world. Well, that's a great way to wrap it up. 
Thank you so much, Ebony and Aisha. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for having yeah. us. So. That was the quickest 30 minutes, too. Ebony Beals is a parent participant at Springboard to Opportunities. She's also a small business owner. Aisha Yandoro is Chief Executive Officer of Springboard to Opportunities, which developed Magnolia Mothers Trust, an unconditional cash transfer program. They spoke at a convening held in Aspen, Colorado in October, held by Ascend at the Aspen Institute. Ascend created the Aspen Family Prosperity Innovation Community, or Family Prosperity, which is supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Family prosperity is rethinking and advancing bipartisan practices and policies that build well-being in partnership with working families, particularly those with low incomes. To learn more about the Ascend program, go to ascend.aspeninstitute.org and follow Aspen Ascend on Twitter. Thanks to my colleagues who made this episode possible, Lindsay Broyhill, Amina Akhtar, and Matt Winholtz. Subscribe to Aspen Insight on your favorite podcast app and follow the Aspen Institute on Twitter and Instagram to stay up to date with our work. Review the show on Apple Podcasts. I'm guest host Marcy Krivenin. Thanks for listening.